The reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, and it's verses 9 to 15, and this can be found on page 947 of your Bibles. that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. God. Great, Julia. I'd love just as a little postscript to read the next bit. Have you got it open? 947. Um, and uh, verse, just verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Just as we hold this open and as uh, we sit... Let's have a short word of prayer, asking God to uh, teach us from this great announcement, this great proclamation of Jesus. Father, as uh, Chris was reminding us as he led us in prayer, it's it's, uh, not about the things of this world so much as it is ultimately about you and your character and your purposes for us. Lord, thank you for the gift of scripture that we believe by your spirit speaks to us today, shapes and informs us, equips and guides us. Please teach us as we look at the inauguration of your kingdom, Jesus' announcement. Fashion our thinking to align to yours that we may live lives full of your power and authority, we may live kingdom lives that make a difference, that bring about change and transformation, that make you look good. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh no. I remember that oh no feeling virtually every single day a few years ago. Some of you, many of you, um, if the demography of the church is anything to go by, will be going through that oh no moment every single day. It's that sort of pit feeling in the stomach that kind of that sinking weight and it's around about three or four or five in the afternoon. It's what in the Stillwell family we used to call tea time torture. Tea time torture is this, you've got little people who've run out of energy. They've gone beyond themselves and they just can't bring it back and they lose it in a myriad of ways. 
tantrum, tantrum city, and you know the answer is to put blood sugars in them. You know the answer is if they had a little bit of uh, food and energy, blood sugars, you can see them through to bedtime. Bedtime is yes. <laughs> but we're at tea time torture. And, and the thing is, they're so beyond it that they, they won't eat the food. So they, the tantrums become worse. Oh, that time, that moment, that period in the day. Now, as I say, it's offset by um, other good times, like, like bedtime when they're sweetly asleep. And, of course, then that's drinks time and feet up time and uh, own time. Time. We only have one English word for time, time. <laughs> um, but that English word translates to Greek words, which is what the New Testament is, is written in. And those two Greek words for our English word time are chronos and kairos. Chronos, as you perhaps might have worked out, we, we derive the word chronology from it. Chronos is the sequence of time. It, it, it's to do with um, watches and calendars and the like. It is the, the sequ sequence of time. But Kairos is the significance of time. It is a moment or an event, a season, a period. It's when we, kairos is the word we'd use to say, um, I had a great time. Kairos is the word we'd use for tea time, or bath time, or coffee time, or whatever it might be. A moment of significance, shaped by whatever defines it. Coffee time, when we drink coffee. Tea time, when we have tea. Holiday time, when we go on holiday. And the word that Jesus, uh, that is uh, translated here in verse 15, that Jesus uses, is kairos. If you like, it's the culmination of chronos. All things have been sequentially leading up to this kairos moment. The time has come, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. What we're doing this term, and actually I think we might, we might continue in a way into next term. I'm, I'm praying about that. But we're, we're just laying down the foundations for an understanding of kingdom. The kingdom of God. And uh, having laid out the foundations, I think after Christmas what I want to do is to, to kind of come back and to begin it almost sort of brick by brick and timber by timber to build uh, from our biblical understanding, to build an understanding of kingdom. What does it mean when Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near or has come near? What does that mean? And so for these next few weeks, we'll try and unpack what that means. We're going to spend a few weeks just on that verse, verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. We'll reference it with other biblical texts. But we want to stay here and dwell here for a moment. So that we can know that the lives we're seeking to live are firmly rooted in what Jesus was intending to build. The time, the kairos, the season, the moment has come. We saw a couple of weeks ago how God orchestrated all of this. He arranged for the birth of the coming king, 
Jesus to align itself with the predictions of the prophets. He even used the most powerful man the world has ever known, Caesar Augustus, to serve his greater purposes. And Mary and Joseph, who lived in Nazareth, nevertheless had the baby, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, as was foretold by the prophets. But the prophets, of course, have been quiet for some time. And here's John the Baptist, according to Mark. And he's coming to prepare hearts and minds so that his followers and the people at the time can prepare themselves to receive the King, Jesus. And Jesus, as we saw last week from Johnny, affirmed by the Father, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, verse 11. Full of affirmation from the Father before he's done anything or achieved anything. He stands up. And when John is put in prison, so his job, if you like, has been done, his time has passed. Jesus stands up and begins to announce the time has come. It's kingdom time. It's kingdom time. Two implications for the world then and for the world now in light of the inauguration, the the, the beginning of kingdom time. The first is that it's a time, it's a season, it's a kairos to step up, not to step down or back. It's a time to step up. One of the prophets, Isaiah, who predicted this coming kairos, this coming season or moment in human life, in human history, wrote this of of the kingdom. And these will be familiar words because they're rehearsed each Christmas um, in the carol services that we hold. Of his government, sorry, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. This kingdom that Jesus is announcing will increase, Isaiah predicts. And of the increase, the growth, the expansion of his kingdom, there will be no end. What Jesus is announcing here as beginning, the kingdom of God has come, is near. Isaiah predicts, and Christians believe, the church celebrates, is growing, increasing, and will know no end. It's just going to carry on until one day the earth is full of the glory of God, the ultimate expression of his kingdom in place. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. You think about the stories that Jesus told. Many of them, uh, particularly in Matthew's gospel, many of them, the parables, were to illustrate the kingdom. And many of them were about an irresistible growth. Often from small beginnings, a farmer sows some seed. Or someone plants a seed. Or someone puts yeast in a batch of dough, just a tiny little bit. The seed can be as small as a mustard seed. But it grows. It has influence. It has power to to change and to transform. 
This is what the kingdom is like, Jesus says. Now, I try and make that point because um, often there's a, a, a well-known phrase of John the Baptist that is sometimes banded around in Christian circles and I think has been misunderstood or misapplied. Well, why don't we just turn to it briefly? It's in John's Gospel, chapter 3, and um, that's on page um, 1007. Interestingly, I mean, John gets it. We've misunderstood John. John totally understands his role. He's talking about his kairos, his moment, as the, as the sort of forerunner, the one who prepares us. He's, he's talking about the fact that um, in a wedding, the, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, and, and, and so those who attend the bride or the groom, they're there just to get things ready. When the bride and the groom, when they arrive, then the helpers step back. Not because their role was insignificant, but because there's one even more significant who's now arrived. And so you see verse, um, the end of verse 29, uh, when, when um, the, the bridegroom, let's go to verse 20, 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. He, referring to Jesus, he must become greater I must become less. He must become greater and I must become less. And I think from time to time that's been used in Christian circles to mean, well, as Christians, we ought to be like John the Baptist. You know, there's Jesus and we ought to sort of just be you know, self-effacing and demure and, and just sort of fade into the background. We, 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 you know, we should be like, sort of, almost like sort of wallflowers in what I want to argue is a false humility. Sort of quiet and gentle and meek and mild. It's a misunderstanding of what John is saying. It's a misunderstanding of Kairos. John is simply saying that my moment, my season, has come to an end because Jesus is here. And his season begins. His Kairos, his kingdom. And of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end, Isaiah tells us. And as we accept Jesus' invitation to live in his kingdom, we increase, we grow, we, we play our part in the expansion and the development. We should confidently expect that our faith is growing, that our influence and stature under God is growing. The church as an expression of kingdom, and I'll come on to that in a little while, is growing. That's the first thing. The kingdom announcement. The time has come. The kingdom has come near. Means for each of us, as we seek to enter the kingdom and live in the kingdom... And by kingdom, I, as I've defined before, but as a reminder, it's, it's just anywhere where God as king has influence and authority over us, where what he says goes, where subjects look to obey the king and live their lives according to his purpose, be it in the city or in the hospital or in the school or on the street, wherever his subjects are. Not necessarily in church, but wherever they're called to live and breathe and move and have their being. 
where they follow the king than their living kingdom lives. And as we seek to live kingdom lives, as we seek to be part of the increase and the development and the growth, it will, by definition, involve stepping up, not stepping down or stepping back. So that's the first thing. Kingdom time means stepping up, not stepping down. And secondly, and I touched on this just a few minutes ago, kingdom time is not the same as church time. We are called by God through Christ, through Jesus, to live kingdom lives, lives that are shaped by the king, not actually to live church lives. And I want to just draw out this distinction. The announcement here in verse 15, the time has come, what, for the church to begin? No. The time has come for the kingdom of God to draw near. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Jesus is not against the church. His heart is for the church. Indeed, in Matthew's gospel, he's recorded as saying, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, you see that church, as an expression of kingdom, will grow such that hell will not be able to contain it or reduce it or hold it. It will expand. And we've seen that throughout human history since Jesus' day. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Actually, just a cursory glance at a concordance where you can look at all the different references to a particular word in the Bible. If you look up kingdom and you look up church in a concordance, you'll see the point I'm trying to make. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and to a certain extent John, are full of references to Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. Loads of references to the word kingdom. But if you look up the word church, there's hardly any. There's a couple in Matthew. That's it. Jesus doesn't specifically teach about the church. He teaches about the kingdom. That's what he's keen to establish in our hearts and minds and our lives. Church is an expression of kingdom. Church is where those people who seek to live kingdom lives following the king gather together in maybe two or three or ten or twelve or hundreds or thousands in a building like this or in a home or on a park or the upper room of a pub. The Bible doesn't define what it looks like or where it is. It's quite free in relative terms of what they do. These kingdom livers as they come together as church. But that's what church is. Church is a derivative of kingdom, not the other way round. Church is an expression of kingdom, not the other way round. The church where people meet in Jesus' name to worship him, to hear his teaching from his word, to pray together, to love one another. Church is driven by a kingdom agenda, not the other way around. We come to church to meet the king, to engage with him, to receive instruction from him, affirmation from him, our mandate to go out and serve him. We come to church for him and his sake, ultimately. We meet other people, 
we uh, chat over coffee, we ask how people are, we notice if people are missing, we celebrate with those who are celebrating, we're sorrowful with those who are sorrowful. We, we go through human life together, but ultimately so that we can live kingdom lives by following the king. See, it's key that we get this distinction because... As we go through our lives, each day, each week, each month, we won't always be in the presence of the church. There'll be times when we will be on our own, at work or at home or wherever it might be. And actually times when we might be quite seriously challenged as, as followers of Jesus. Because we are not in the presence of the church. We haven't got that support, tangible support around us. But the key thing is, we are always in the presence of the King. He's promised us his spirit to live with us forever. Jesus says in John's gospel, I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you abandoned or alone. I will come and live in you by your spirit. As you beaver away the only Christian in your open plan office, the only Christian in your housing or living setup, the only Christian in your street or neighborhood, the only Christian that you know. And while we're here, gathering here, what an encouragement that can be. But what when we're not gathered together as church, the expression of kingdom? Well, although I may be apart, as it were, from the church, I can always know the presence of the king. That's why I think it's vital to distinguish kingdom from church. God loves both. (laughs) But church is the derivative of kingdom, not the other way around. You see the implications for us, just as I come into land. It just helps us to put into some kind of context and priority all the things that take place in the name of the church, St. Dionys Church, for example. We've got, as you, I'm sure you'll have appraised from the service card and the, the, the term card, we've got a number of social events coming up. The, the idea is that we just gather together to have fun, just to enjoy one another. There's a table tennis and snooker competition in November, going to take place in the hall. Uh, there might also be a little sabutio table for those who remember Flick to Kick and all that. Um, so just for fun, there'll be a few silly prizes, I expect. And I, we'd love you, we'd love everyone everyone to come. There's going to be a curry night for the men. It's just a, I'm sorry, ladies, but though I'm sure there are other things for you. But for the gentlemen here, there's a boys' curry night. We've booked out, where is it? Oh, down there. Uh, Naib's um, Indian restaurant on the New King's Road. And we've got the whole dining room, uh, the back dining room for, for St. Dionys. And we just love the guys to come and just, you know, chat and get to know one another. But you see, it's not as an end in itself. It's so that we can actually encourage one another to see how we're living for the king. What difficulties are there? What particular challenges are there? And this is a way into that. Alpha. Alpha's a fantastic, but it's not an end in itself. Alpha is an opportunity for people to come to meet other Christians and get to feel for what the church is like and what the church believes. But ultimately... It's so that individuals can come in direct and personal contact with the king. See, Alpha as a church activity is a derivative of kingdom living. Because as a church, we can be around to help, um, if you like, sort of young children in Christ, young children in the Lord, you know, men and women who are relatively new in their faith. And other people, older, experienced, wiser, they can help them. But what when they're not there? 
if faith is ultimately, ultimately located in the church, what happens when the church isn't there? Faith ultimately has to be focused on and rooted in the king and his kingdom. The time has come. Sundays, here, as we gather. What we're doing is, is to meet with the king, to be trained by him, to be taught by him. All, all the stuff we'll look at in the next few weeks where he proclaims the kingdom, where he heals, where there's lives that are broken and disjointed and out of order, where he releases those oppressed as their thinking has been held captive. The, the enemy has, as it were, landed into their lives and, and built these kind of strongholds that reduce and inhibit us. And Jesus says, be gone. And the mind and the heart and the life is freed. We hear about those things. We practice those things as church in order that we may live them in the whole of our lives. Let me, let me put it like this. The importance of kingdom, the importance of living in this moment... What percentage would you say of your waking hours do you spend at work or whatever it is that your, your main focus of each day and week? 70, 80% many of us of our waking hours. How many hours is that over a month, that percentage? Dozens and dozens. How many hours are you consciously in church activity a month? Two, three, four? See, if we, if we think that our ultimate, the ultimate expression of our Christian life is to come to church, I often encounter this with people who are exploring baptism. And they say, oh yes, I, I must come to church. And I think, oh no, please don't come to, don't come to church as if, you, if that's the ultimate expression of why you're here. Yeah? The main purpose on earth is to come to church. I can think of nothing worse. It's to come to the Lord. It's to come to the King. It's to live kingdom lives. Because if our ultimate expression of Christian living is to come to church, then for two or three, four hours in a month. But what about all the other hours when you're doing what the Lord has, I believe, called you to do? When you're banking or accounting or teaching or nursing or mothering, when you're advising, coordinating, discovering, whatever is the key call of your work, then what fuels or energizes you? How are you being equipped or resourced unless you have an understanding that this is what God has called you to do? Your primary role on earth is to live in his kingdom by teaching these pupils or instructing these managers or healing these patients or mothering or fathering these children. That's, that's for the time being, is your kingdom activity. Christian living is not ultimately about going to church. It's about living for the king. It's about being able to proclaim him where he calls you to be, at home, at work. 
It's about being able to see with his eyes where there is oppression, that it may be released in his power. Be, Be able to see with spiritual eyes what's going on in this place of work. Why are relationships so contorted? Why is it such hard work to move forward? Why is there so much effort and so little gain? Could it be that I've been pushing away in the physical realm and I'm missing what God is doing in the spiritual realm? As I come to the king and ask for eyes to see his kingdom, I can be a million miles away from church and God is working in and through me. The time has come. The time has come. Not stepping down, but stepping up. The time has come for kingdom, of which church is an expression. Kingdom lives, 24-7. Because, and as we'll look in the next few weeks and explore this, although the kingdom is not here completely, Chris's prayers and some of those images, we recognise that. God's kingdom is not completely here. Nevertheless, it is here to stay. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. We come to celebrate Holy Communion together. I'm thrilled that I see some of the children and young people have come back. We'd love you to join with mums and dads or whoever you've come with. Uh, And we welcome anyone to come and celebrate communion with us. Uh, If you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you have uh, what you understand to be a living relationship with him, then please do come and take uh, this wafer representing his body, uh, given for you his blood, uh, this wine rather, representing his blood which was shed for you. We'd love you to take part uh, in our communion service. It may be that for whatever reason you you aren't able to take communion, you're not sure where you stand in relationship with the Lord. Please, that's absolutely fine. We'd love you to come anyway. Don't feel left out. Just come and join everyone as they file forward. And I'd love just to pray a short prayer for you. Uh, It may help if you just keep your hands down by your side rather than holding them up for a wafer. Then I'll know um, not to give you a wafer but to to pray. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, there'll be opportunity, I think um, Alan and Ursula will be at the side. If you'd like someone to pray with you, then just as you've received the wine, just come to one side, they'll come up, uh, they'll be here to my right, your left, and they'd love to pray with you. And incidentally, the ma- here's this map of the parish in the area, and uh, if you're a regular member of us but haven't yet located yourself with a blue dot on the map, then um, as you've received communion, please just take a dot from the pack just hanging at the bottom and place it on there so that we can get an idea of where kingdom lies are being lived in our particular patch the Lord is here his spirit is with us lift up your hearts we lift them to the Lord let us give thanks to the Lord our God it is right to give thanks and praise you are worthy of our thanks and praise Lord God of truth for by the breath of your mouth you have spoken your word and all things have come into being you fashioned us in your image and placed us in the garden of your delight 
Though we chose the path of rebellion, you would not abandon your own. Again and again, you drew us into your covenant of grace. You gave your people the law and taught us by your prophets to look for your reign of justice, mercy, and peace. As we watch for the signs of your kingdom on earth, we echo the song of the angels in heaven, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Lord God, you are the most holy one, enthroned in splendor and light. Yet in the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, you reveal the power of your love made perfect in our human weakness. Embracing our humanity, Jesus showed us the way of salvation. Loving us to the end, he gave himself to death for us. Dying for his own, he set us free from the bonds of sin, that we might rise and reign with him in glory. On the night he gave up himself for us all, he took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the death that he suffered on the cross. We celebrate his resurrection, his bursting from the tomb. And we rejoice that he reigns at your right hand on high. And we long for his coming in glory. As we recall the one perfect sacrifice of our redemption. Father, by your Holy Spirit, let these gifts of your creation be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Form us into the likeness of Christ and make us a perfect offering in your sight. Look with favor on your people and in your mercy hear the cry of our hearts. Bless the earth. Heal the sick. Let the oppressed go free and fill your church with power from on high. Gather your people from the ends of the earth to feast with all your saints at the table in your kingdom where the new creation is brought to perfection in Jesus Christ our Lord by whom and with whom and in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit all honour and glory be yours Almighty Father forever and ever Amen Let's sit as we say this prayer together We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same, Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat this bread and drink this wine, that our sinful bodies may be cleansed by Christ's body, and our souls washed by his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. So draw near with faith, receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.